Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, January 5th, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 32, beginning with Though There Is. Today's readers are, reading the OA 12 Steps is Sharon B. Reading the OA 12 Traditions is Leslie F. And reading the literature are Du L., Becca W., and Sharon R. S. The reference number or share ID for Sunday, January 4th is 7161. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sharon B. to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning, Sharon B. in New Jersey, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay, great. The 12 Steps, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, 
having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Sharon B. I will now ask Leslie F. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Leslie F. from Illinois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. <clears throat> Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Leslie F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 32. I will now ask Du L. 
to get us started by reading two paragraphs. The first paragraph, beginning with, Though There Is, will be read for context. The second paragraph, which ends on page 33, with Was Dead Within Four Years, will be the focus of our comments. Go ahead, do. Good morning. This is Du L from New York. Um, grateful, recover, possible reader. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Um, it says, though there is no way of proving it, we believe that in earlier drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is still yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that there, he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to the belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came on his carpet slippers in a bottle. In two months, he was in the hospital, puzzled and humiliated. <clears throat> he tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he, he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at a retirement he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. Wow, this is um, this is a lot of information, and you know the <clears throat> the question that that really um, is asked here is abstinence. Will time do it for us? By being abstinent, will time do it for us? Will will not <clears throat> will? I'm sorry. Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm a problem just talking. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, it's talking about the fact that this man, you know, he was thinking that because he had self-determination, because he had discipline, because he was going to do this on his own, you know, the fact that he was self-determined and self-willed to not drink because he knew once he triggered the allergy of the body, he was off to the races. He could not stop drinking. He knew that very well. So he decided, you know, because he had a good reason to stop drinking, that he was going to do so. And he did for a time. But the bottom line is that, you know, you can arrest, you can arrest the physical because that's academic. If I don't introduce my binge foods into my food, food safe foods, I'm okay. But the greater problem is that we have the mental obsession. We have something that is called my disconnect with God. 
if I am not connected to a higher power, if I'm not connected to something that's going to give me infinite power and it's going to help me to drive me through, I'm going to, if I think I can do this on my own, I'm not going to make it too long. And I may make it for a while, but the bottom line is, if I am a true compulsive overeater, if I'm a true alcoholic, I'm not going to be able to make it, this on my own. Because eventually, the mental obsession will kick in, will lead me back to that food, will lead me back to the drink. Because that, that is being a true compulsive overeater. That is being a true alcoholic. If I am not spiritually addressing this, if I'm not addressing my spiritual malady, I am going to go back to the food. I am going to go back. It's a guarantee. And, and this big book shows us time after time after time after time after time that if I am not in surrender mode, because for me it's all about surrender. It's all about giving it up to God. And if I'm not doing that and I think I'm going to do it on my own, then I'm headed for trouble. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be 20 years from now. But eventually it will get me. Eventually it will kill me. And that's what this, this story is showing me, that if I'm not in surrender mode, you know, why do I take the steps? The steps are all about surrender. Step one is I surrender to food. Step two is I'm surrendering my old ideas of God. You know, step three is about surrendering self. Because that's my biggest problem is self, self-determination, self-will, self, 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 self-centeredness, selfishness. It's all about me. Step three is about surrendering self. Step four is about surrendering my character defects. And step five is surrendering my past. Step six is about surrendering, you know, acknowledging that I have character defects and surrendering that to God and surrendering the outcome to God. Step seven is about God shaping in me and molding me into the person that he wants me to be and surrendering the outcome as to how he's going to shape me and mold me, you know, including character defects. And steps eight and nine, it's all about surrendering the relationships and surrendering the outcome of how God takes care of those relationships. I do my part. I do my little piece. The bottom line now is all about surrender. And so this man here, he's not surrendering. He thinks he's going to do it. And, and it shows, again, that when he does it, he has limited power. Yes, he, for some people, 25 years is a long time to be abstinent. But bottom line is, it doesn't matter. The time doesn't matter. If you're a compulsive overeater, eventually, if you're untreated, it will, it will get you. And that's what I see from that. And with that, I pass. Hi, Charles H. I heard Charles. Um, is any is there anyone else? Larry, who would like to share? Can get a roster going before we start the sharing. Kathy K. Kathy K. Excuse me. Who's what's the name of the person you just shared, please? Sharon H. That was Do L. Sharon H. Anne Marie. Anne Marie. Okay, why don't we go with those? I think it's six. So, Charles, you are first. Go right ahead. Good morning, visionaries. Uh, Charles H., a covered visionary just for today. 
Um, thank you for your continued service. <clears throat> There's a few uh, words on here. That's choice. That 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 um that really that really got me this morning. Money disposal bone dry. I hate that word bone dry. I hate to say I hate a word, but bone dry just sounds so unattractive. Um, somebody's unmuted. We ain't gonna go through this today, right? Let me get my little three minutes, and then we, you know, you guys, we can go down the list. It's very disrespectful. Thank you. Okay, so bone dry sounds very unattractive. Um, it, it's just like you know what, like it, it, it's just no step work, no program, just just pure abstinence. Pure abstinence alone is not going to do it for me because anything rocks my boat. Conflict can't survive without my participation. But if I'm bone dry, everything I'm acceptable. I'm 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 susceptible. Excuse me. Well, that word. I am. Su- I'm suspect. That's what I meant to say. I'm suspect to anything that goes on in my life. So, you know, bone dry. Don't matter how long. Self discipline. We're gonna learn more in this chapter. And and money. <laughs> there's a few characters in this chapter that 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 teaches me that the big book teaches me that money. It doesn't matter how much money I got. I can't buy recovery. I can't buy willingness, and I can't buy abstinence. I can't buy it. And even if I have it, it ain't worth nothing. Abstinence um, plus change equals recovery. How I change? By doing everything. The, the, the program suggests the 12 steps, giving it to somebody, praying, meditating, all that, all that. So, yeah, you know, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55. All right. You know, uh, I love how the big book dresses up these characters in, in, in my favorite chapter. You know, he had a great business career, and he had a, a, a good reason to, uh, you know, to stop drinking. I got a great, I, I, I tell you, I got a great reason every day to, to stop binging, but try to convince my mind that. You know, and this 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 section right here reminds me every day of, you know, I know people be like, man, why do you keep going to those? Why do you keep qualifying? Why do you keep going to those meetings? Why do you keep? Why you got sponsors? Why you got? Why do? Why do you email everything that you do in a day to your sponsor, sponsees for accountability? And if I get a bright idea and a big, big headism, big shotism, that I don't need you guys. I need every one of y'all. The one that's doing real great, and 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 the one that's suffering, and everybody in between. Because if I'm just if I'm not coming back and getting this information, getting fed spiritually and, and, and feeding others in the flock, then you know what? There's no such thing in recovery as standing still. I'm sliding back. There's no standing still. I'm either going forward or I'm going back. I can't go back no more. I can if I get a bright idea. I can't go back. Long periods of sobriety don't mean nothing, right? Plus if I add the self-discipline to that, which we're gonna learn, we're gonna we're gonna learn more as we go on in this in this chapter. That self-discipline ain't about nothing. It ain't. It ain't. You know, self ain't about nothing. I need to abandon myself to a power higher than me and greater than me. And I got much more, but I'm gonna shut up because I like to beat that three-minute bell. Thanks. My name is Charles H. I eat too much. A recovered visionary just for today. Thank you, Charles H. Larry, you're next. 
Thanks so much. Um, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago. Thank you for your service. Um, you know, when I read this story, you know, it, it didn't resonate with me so much, I have to say, because um, when I came into the program, the first five years, uh, the most abstinence back-to-back sobriety that I had was 35 days for five years. That may not be typical. I just didn't have uh, the willingness. I wasn't ready. But with this, with this, um, you know, this particular individual, what it what it stresses for me is that some of us can be very, very disciplined with the food and with the alcohol. This gentleman here was a guy that you know he had other goals, and for, for that reason, he was able to be very disciplined. They don't really say, but I have a feeling <clears throat> that he, he, because he was a real alcoholic, we we, we know how this ends, right? that, you know, he, he wanted to accomplish some other goals in business, and he was able to be very disciplined and put the alcohol down. But, you know, the ism was still there, and this guy was an alcoholic, and out came the carpet slippers, and, you know, this guy was dead within four years. I know many people, uh, beautiful people, that, you know, were abstinent for such a long period of time, and they really spoke with authority, you know, it just seemed they really knew the big book. And, uh, but, but I could always tell there was an irritability and so forth and the restlessness. But, you know, we don't take anyone else's inventory. Um, you know, and, uh, and they were, you know, I'm talking five, six, ten years and then back out in the food. And, you know, one can say, well, you know, maybe that person didn't remain in fit spiritual condition. I don't know. I just know that, you know, one of the things for me today is that through working the, this practical program of action sequentially all the way through, that I had a spiritual awakening, a vital spiritual experience that was sufficient to arrest this disease. But more importantly than that, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking up the food, but I have a, a peace and a serenity. Sometimes in the midst of tremendous challenge, you know, when my dad died a few years, you know, a few months ago, you know, that's, those, life will happen on life's terms. I don't, I'm not the principal anymore. But, you know, I have a peace and serenity even though I'm not in the food. And, you know, there's, there's something about this, this, this deal that when we follow it precisely, that we have a spiritual awakening. Mine didn't come overnight. It, it, it took time. It was of the educational variety, but it did come. And what I have is complete completely different than what I had before. Before I just was holding my breath underwater. And that's not what I have today. Thank God for that. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Kathy Kay, you're next. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. And good morning, everyone, on Vision for You. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive reader from Boston. And, you know, um, I did experience long periods of sobriety in my past, but they were always followed um, by a break in my absence. And today what I realize is that I had this cycle that stretched out quite a long period of time where I would get to feel so good uh, as a result of months or even years of abstinence that I started to believe that I might be a normal eater again. 
Um, and uh, this uh, always led me back into the food, this sense of self-reliance. And I really do think that that this story is about the failure of self-reliance. No matter how good we think we may be doing, um, and I, I should say that the last time this happened to me, I had already done work on the steps, and I was finished with my ninth step amends. And then I felt so good that I became a bit lackadaisical about living in steps 10, 11, and 12. And six months later, I had a break in my abstinence. That was the last time I forgot uh, that I am not in charge and that no matter how long I'm abstinent, I still need a relationship with my higher power in order to live in recovery. So that's what this story reminds me of, that self-reliance is not something that will work for me as a compulsive overeater. And that, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy K. Sharon H. Sharon. Thank you, Rebecca. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Okay. Thank you. This is Sharon H. Recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado, and. Um, <clears throat> Going back up to that first paragraph, most of us could have stopped drinking, but the difficulty is a few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there's still yet time. And this just reminded me this morning that, you know, when I was 16, I, I had my first job. I worked at Woolworth, and I was behind the candy counter, and um, they had all these big bins of all the various different candies. They were separated in these bins, and we got this candy, came in huge, huge boxes, and we had to put the candy into the bins, and and to make a long story short, I um, once the supervisor went home at night, I I would just dig into this candy, especially the chocolate-covered peanuts. That was one of my favorites. <clears throat> and I got called on the carpet that they thought I was giving candy free to other people, and I had to very um, painfully admit that I, I was the culprit, that um, I had been digging into the candy. And only by God's grace did I not get fired from that job. Um, they put me on on the cashier stand, so I would no longer be behind the candy counter. But that didn't, you know, I think about that today, and I think, you know, just like this story, that didn't stop me. And um, I did not have a strong desire, evidently, that kept me from, uh, at that point, seeing the futility of that. And so I went on and on for many, many years. Um, even after knowing about this and being in this program and even being abstinent for five years in the 90s. And um, and then I fell victim over and over again, and I have up here written to the false belief that practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline qualified him to drink as other men. And so I, I really appreciate what Kathy just shared about the failure of self-reliance. And that's what I kept trying to do over and over again. I thought I was relying on God, but I was really trying to do everything in my own strength with, you know, with God kind of uh, patched in there to help. And it wasn't until I reached that complete powerlessness and accepted 
the uh, mighty, powerful, cunning, baffling disease of food addiction for what it was, and that came in the doctor's opinion two years ago, and I guess going into three years now, July of 2012, that I saw the truth for what it was. And I am so grateful for that because it has made such a difference. And I, I follow this book um, line by line, page by page now, and uh, do the steps. And I also always fell down on, on living in, in recovery in the 10, 11, and 12. Today I know I must do that. I only have a daily reprieve. So I just encourage everyone out on the line to keep coming back. This works and this book lays out the plans so specifically for us to come from that point of complete powerlessness to being able to live in God's grace and recovery through the 12 steps. With that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Sharon A. Vasa O. Yes, thank you, Rebecca, for your service, and good morning, everybody. My my name is Vasa O. and Recovered Compulsive Overeater calling from Florida. Boy, I can relate to this person here, but he stayed for 55 years sober. I couldn't even, you know, by the end of my eating, my eating life, I couldn't even put it, you know, like from breakfast to lunch. But anyways, I was 41 years old when I came into the program, and I didn't see, I, was, I really didn't think I was going to see my 45th birthday. I was dying physically, emotionally, and spiritually, mentally. I don't care what you say it or how you say it. And I, and I had everything to live for. My God, I had the kids, I had the husband, I had the house. But I was so into the food, into the sugars, and I just could not stop. I, you know, yes, by my self-will, by, you know, my, I could you know, I could do it, you know, years before it was started getting progressively worse. You know, I could put it down for a little bit for, you know, maybe a few days or maybe for the weekend, but I always kept going back. The mental obsession always brought me back into the food. And I'd be thinking, even if I was, when I was on a diet, I, I would be thinking, you know, oh, maybe tomorrow or maybe when I lost this weight, and I'll go back into it. And it just, it was like a vicious circle. I could never keep it off. And again, you know, I was just so desperate. I was just so willing and ready. You know, when my sponsor said to me, she, she 12-stepped me for about a week. And I was really off the sugars before I came to my first meeting. I was still using the flour products, you know, but I was uh, off the sugar. And she kept on stressing to me, you need to surrender to God, to put the food in God's hands, and God is going to help you. And you need, you know, she, you know, she talked about the twelfth step. I just was, I was so ready, and I was just so willing. I didn't want to die, you know. I didn't want to die. I had a child; he was only three years old, and I told myself, myself, you know, this child is not going to have a mother. And I was only like twenty-five, thirty pounds overweight. But it was getting progressive. I know if I did not find a program, I would be probably dead today. You know, I would be very, very sick, you know, like heart problems, diabetes. It runs in my family, and I see it. And it, it, it's so painful, you know, to see them going through those struggles. 
And I'm the only one that's in recovery, you know. And I, my family know what they're doing. Oh, they think I'm to the extreme, you know. But anyways, uh, that it took whatever it took. I was ready to surrender. I said to my sponsor, I will surrender to anybody. I don't care as long as I don't have to do it to anybody. She said, God will help you, you know, Vasa, do it. And I did. I surrendered to God. I put the foot in God's hands. I put my life and my will, gradually trusting. And that was the answer. And then, of course, she brought me to the program, and I threw myself. I threw myself after I had clear, clean abstinence for a while. That was the beginning. I'll, I'll just wrap it up. And, that you know, the abstinence, that's what I needed to focus first, to get the clarity. And then I threw myself into the steps. Thank you for letting me share and I passed. Thanks, Vasa. Anne-Marie, you're next. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie M., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Carolina. Thank you. Um, this, this entire chapter, more about alcohol alcoholism, really speaks to me about the mental obsession more than any other chapter um, over and over again. And I have a couple of references um one on uh, page uh, 23 that, um, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And through the stories here, it just talks about how, what, you know, the different stories, this is the first story, but the other stories also um, show me how the mind works, the, the self-justification, the illusions, the illusions, the... Um, the, the obsession. And the other uh, reference that I had was uh, way over on page 72, and I think that was the fifth step they were talking about. Um, yeah, this is the fifth step, but um, right in the middle of the second paragraph, it says, in actual practice, we usually find a um, solitary self-appraisal insufficient. And this reminds me of Fred's Assessing himself um, in the middle of one to the second paragraph, he made up his mind that until he had been successful in business, he had retired. Um, he had re- retired. He would not touch another uh, drop. And that just reminded me of that, the self-appraisal they're talking about in the fifth step, um, directions in the fifth step, that it, it's, it's not um, sufficient. I cannot do this on my own. I need the help of other people to help me to see where my mental obsession is. Um, I have to be able to admit that to another person and to myself, most importantly. Um, but this, this, the mental obsession for me is the more difficult part of the disease than the physical part, um, like you know, two-part disease, physical and mental. And um, the physical, once I put down the food, um, that's, that's like a done deal. Um, I don't pick it up anymore. Uh, that's it. But the mental obsession keeps cre- creeping back in until, unless rather, unless I follow these directions, rely on God and rely on others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. This is Rebecca, and I'd like a chance to share. Um, I'm appreciating everybody's shares, and I'm thinking about this man who, um, you know, 
if he's anything like me, um, it's hard to believe that he had a successful and happy business career. Maybe, maybe his business was successful, but I'm trying to picture myself holding back the from the desire to eat my binge foods for 25 years um, with that carrot dangling in front of me telling me as soon as I retire I can go back to having them again. To me that sounds like torture and um, distraction. How could I be present while I was um, white-knuckling abstinence for all those years knowing full well that I had every intention of going back. And then I'm thinking about 55. Yes, it was a while ago, but still 55 is pretty young to retire if you're really doing well in business. Why would you want to retire if you were happy in your career? You'd want to keep working. I mean, a lot of people work until they're very, very old who enjoy a happy and successful career. So I'm having my doubts. Um, and the thought of um, just waiting for that day that I could finally stop working, even if it's a good business, just so that I could go back to eating this, that, and the other thing, it seems like a pretty sorry way of living as opposed to the gift that I've been given to live one day at a time without the desire to go back to those binge foods and knowing full well that I I can't and I don't want to and that I have something much better than that. It just seems very sad and very absurd to me. And I'm grateful for this illustration so that I can um, identify and know that I don't have to live the way he did and die the way he died. And with that, I will pass. And it's time to move on to the next paragraph with Becca W. at the top of page 33, beginning with This Case Contains. Hi, Rebecca. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Um, This is Becca W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Maryland. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. So um, for me, the one word that sticks out here and has been a theme today is self-will. And when we use our self-will, that gives an opening for the disease to completely take over. And so it's only a matter of time before our our self-will runs out. Um, In this case, uh, this man, he went strong for a long long time, 25 years. You know, I think about, okay, well, how long did mine last? Was it like a month? Was it a week, a day? an hour. I mean, I think I lost and gained back like probably a whole kindergarten class. I mean, I put myself through such torture for so many years trying to self-will it, and I tried so many diets that were great tools. Sure, do they work for normal quote-unquote eaters? Sure, they, you know, they work. 
But for a real compulsive overeater like me, that tool did not work. And, um, you know, when I came into OA, I lost 50 pounds right away. Awesome. This is great. And then I crashed and burned. And I couldn't understand why. And someone in program came up to me, um, and she was kind of like a tough cookie, and she was like, why don't you try the steps? And she was on my resentment list. She was number one <laughs> And uh, when I finally did the steps. But you know what? She's a great friend today, and I really – she was the turning point for me because I saw the steps on the wall, but I never did them. I just didn't get it. And, and the solution here is the opposite of self-will is having God in our lives. That's what was missing. You know, and when we connect with God, it's just like it doesn't matter if sugar is the 20th ingredient. I mean, they're saying here, you know, there must be no reservation of any kind, no lurking notion that someday we'll, we, we will be immune to alcohol. I don't care if it's the 20th ingredient or the 100th ingredient. If I put something that's allergic to my body, if I put that in my body, I am back in the food. I am. And, you know, it, that, that man, um, as Rebecca was saying, you know, he, he might have done it for 25 years, but what kind of ease and comfort was that? You know, was it comfortable? Even if it was comfortable for him, there is nothing that beats being connected to God and having God in our lives. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing better than working with a sponsee and watching them grow and to be able to share in a meeting and hear messages from other people that help us in our lives, to have a spiritual awakening and see life in a completely different way. I mean, that's the beauty of this program is connecting to a higher power, our personal higher power that manages our lives for us. So God today manages my food. Sure, I have to do certain things. I have to, you know, make that food and I have to eat that food in moderation so that I'm not compulsively overeating. But God does that for me. And what ease I have in my life today. It's a miracle. I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Becca W. Who would like to Lauren. share on what was Sarah right? W. Kelsey? Leah? You? Okay. I know there's probably more, but I heard Lauren S., Sarah W., Leah M., and uh, why don't we go with those three and see if we have time for more. Go ahead, Lauren S. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, guys. This is such a cool meditation, well, thing to take in a meditation wherever you are in your work. Um, So reservations of any kind. For me, like, you know, you guys, I talk about this often. I'm constantly, you know, I live in 10, 11, 12, but for me, like, that's, that's not enough. I need to be having an experience with, you know, pages I to 103 at least once a year. And new reservations that I take is what if there's an apocalypse tomorrow do I see that as a reservation to just go all out and binge? Do I have reservations? What if my dad passed away? I, my dad is, he for me is like an unbelievable person. Um, is that a reservation to binge? What if, you know, I, there's what if I'm in Italy and it's my wedding, I'm hypothesizing here, and someone offers me a glass of champagne? I'm not an alcoholic, but do I have a reservation that I can be under the influence of something um, to block my connection with God, you know? What about, you know, I'm, another reservation I have is if I'm having trouble with attention and somebody says, well, here, 
why don't you get a prescription for Adderall? And a doctor prescribes it, but for me it's like, well, I think God's big enough that I don't need to rely on that. I can rely on God to remove that from me. And, and so I take things in a meditation today of I've been abstinent for, for me a long stretch of time. I've been staying with food. I, I don't food is I don't think about it, but what if, you know, yeah, what if someone passes? I just take these things in a meditation. I, I can't have any reservation that I'll ever be able to be like a normal person when it comes to ingesting something that'll put me under the influence. Um, thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Sarah W. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Iowa. You know, the thought that keeps coming into my mind is that I have to really, truly admit that I am a real compulsive overeater. You know, it's it's not like a pseudo. It's not like a, well, maybe today. It's like this is who I am forever. I don't get to, you know, say I'm done with this disease when I get recovered and I don't have it anymore. I still have it. And I think the problem for me, you know, I had, um, you know, I lost 80 pounds in 1995 coming into the program, um, a very sick young woman um, with, filled with self-hate, filled with jealousy and animosity towards other people, not knowing how to have relationships with anybody, including myself, uh, very wounded, um, unhappy, and, you know, I'm not that person today, thank you, God. Uh, but the thought I have is that, you know, I have to remain teachable. Uh, you know, five years into my abstinence, and I was, um, you know, I studied the big book when I first came in. I was fortunate enough to have somebody that brought me through that way. And, um, you know, I got it, uh, you know, I understood what I needed to do, but I rested on my laurels. And I started to get into some big shotism. And I was sponsoring a lot. I was very involved. I got very involved with service. And um, it went to my head. And, um, you know, God wasn't in my head. I was in my head again. And uh, there I went into relapse. And it was a long, ugly relapse. And 120 pounds up later, you know, this is a progressive disease. There I was. And um, about four years ago, I, I, um, I came to a diet program. And I started losing the weight. But what I did was um, I, I realized that, uh, you know, many times diet programs have, have helped me lose weight, but I've never been able to keep it off. And, and I realized in my heart of hearts that I needed to come back to recovery. Um, and living in a small town, um, it's not an easy thing to do that when there is no OA, none. And so I, I was uh, fortunately, you know, you know, many little God wings happen in our lives, and I was able to find a phone meeting. But, um, you know, for me, I have to keep remembering that at my core, you know, I am a compulsive overeater. I have that ism. It's going to be there the rest of my life. And that the steps uh, are what prevent me from going back into disease and, uh, you know, thinking it's all about me and working with others and staying, you know, right-sized. And I'm I'm so grateful for that today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Leah M. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for your service. 
once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in short time as bad as ever. You know, so we just read this story about this man who was sober, you know, after 25 years of sobriety, he felt like now he could take a drink like other people. And, of course, based on that lie, all action is born in thought. Based on that lie, he takes a drink, he triggers the allergy, and within four years, he's dead. So, you know, the question is, is this guy's real problem the fact that he has a physical allergy? I mean, that allergy is never going to disappear. Is that, is that his real problem, or is his real problem that he has a form of insanity that tells him it's okay to take that first drink um, because he has had sobriety for 25 years? So that's the that's the form of insanity. You know, the the big book is going to take its time uh, to describe to me. You know, by using uh, examples throughout this chapter of people who believe the lie that they could safely drink after some period of time. So they're they're uh, you know that lie is occurring before they take that drink, and it's that lie that convinces them to take that drink in the first place, and then, of course, the allergy is triggered, and their problems do not start after they take a drink. Their problem, their trouble begins when they believe and act on a lie while they're still sober, and that's a lesson that someone like me has to know, you know. I, I was I was well in the grip of this disease before its grip was truly revealed to me. And although uh, you know I've been abstinent for quite a long time, this flame may be doused, but the pilot light remains on. You know, so uh, it's a good reminder to me and to all of us that I cannot solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. I have to know who and what I am today. That's why our text told us, you know, a couple pages ago that we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery because unless I humble myself uh, by taking step one, I don't need the rest of the program because if I think I have the power over this disease, then I don't need to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And if I don't believe that, then I'm have to turn my will and my legs over to that power, and if I don't do that, well, then I don't have to do the rest of the steps, because I can do it. You know, so this program of recovery is uh, something that, you know, I had other dreams for myself than to be doing this every day and expending all this time, you know, uh, in recovery lifestyle. But I know who and what I am today, please thank you, God. And I know, you know, as hard as it is to come here, it's harder to stay. It is harder to stay. You know, the, to continue to trudge this road is a commitment. It's a dedication. I'm grateful to do it today because I do have a life of freedom. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah M. Okay. It might be difficult. Linda R. LCM. Okay, let's go with R and LCM. Linda R, go right ahead. Good morning, and thank you, Rebecca, for all your service today and everyone on the line. Anyway, this conversation is just bringing me back to when I first came into program many years ago. The food part was basically down, and I've heard the analogy of you know, sitting in the back seat of the car and letting God drive. 
But when I first came in, I was still so trying to control. And I just remember, like, God was driving one day, but when I didn't like what he was doing, I put my chubby leg over the seat, and I jumped over and grabbed the wheel. And I did that for so many years, I couldn't sit in that back seat and let my higher power run my life. However, as of late, because of this wonderful recovery and working in the big book, my, I have total abstinence today, serenity. And the voice in my head, the God voice, has changed more to loving, accepting, nurturing, kind, rather than judgmental, critical. And the, the voice in my head now, the God voice, is now loving because I can totally accept myself with my warts and all. And this took the educational variety of many years. So I just wanted to share that for the newcomers, it's a process. And just keep coming back because eventually it will happen if you want it to. Thank you very much. Thank you, Linda R. LCM. Thank you, Rebecca. This is LCM, a recovered uh, compulsive overeater from outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, this is a great paragraph, and everybody's share has really been fantastic. Um, I think about that I used to believe that, you know, after a certain amount of time, I would be able to go back to my substances as well. And, um, and like other people have shared, when I didn't stay in 10, 11, and 12, that's exactly what happened. And I do agree that it is harder to stay in this program than to get into it because our egos get in the way. Um, I think one of the reasons that I attend meetings, either face-to-face or on the line, is also so that I can hear what it is like when um, people go back out, that I need to be reminded on a regular basis the the, um, progression of this disease, that like it says in the story that, you know, where he left off at 30 was where he picked up again at 55. And I get examples of that in the rooms, whether it's by phone or by a personal experience that I'm witnessing. Um, We know how cunning, baffling, and powerful this disease can be, but I need to be reminded of it on a regular basis. And I'm so grateful for where I am today, and thank you very much for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, LCM. Okay. Um, Thank you to everyone who has shared We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Sharon R.S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sharon R.S., we can't hear you. Good morning. This is Sharon R.S., Thank you, Rebecca, and thank you to all who are on the line. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously... You cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults.
I think that we lost Sharon R.S. Rebecca, are you still with us? Rebecca F., if you could oh, press I'm, star I'm one. Sorry. I am. Melanie, I'm here. Sharon, are you here? Hello. Hello. I think we, have, line I think we lost Sharon. Our, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rebecca. Could everyone mute their phone, please? Yeah, this is Sharon. Can you hear me now? Yes, Sharon. Is your line the one with the dog barking? That is my dog in the background. It is. Okay. Um, perhaps, um, perhaps we could have someone else. Well, let, yeah, I'll read. Someone, Our book is meant I'll to read. be suggestive only. Okay. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. 